are you this week? Hey, Elliot. Uh, really good. I uh, hope everything's going well with you. I thought I'd just jump into this right away. You know, obviously, there's always a lot of things going on during the week. This month is anti-human trafficking month, uh, so that a lot of the law enforcement agencies are issuing uh, guidance and documents there, so that's that's ongoing, and we're still dealing with the uh, uh, outputs from the uh, AMLA law in terms of studies and, and that kind of thing, so we're staying on top of that. But the thing I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on, um, several of us uh, for, from our advisory board, including Rick Small, are involved in what they're calling a multi-stakeholder, uh, a multi-stakeholder dialogue, uh, sort of under the auspices of humanitarian groups and uh, and uh, the financial sector, and other parts of the government dealing with de-risking. So this is an issue that we've been dealing with for four or five years. We obviously issued a, a report uh, a couple of years ago, but one of the things that they've been working on besides the overall issue of how humanitarian groups and charities can get access uh, to financial uh, transactions and accounts is in Afghanistan. And so what I saw this week was the Treasury Department, when they have meetings or issues, will, will put out what they call a readout. And this particular one is the Undersecretary of Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson, talked to NGOs um, yesterday about operating in Afghanistan. And that's obviously been a major challenge. And the readout talks about a series of FAQs that have recently been issued to explain uh, to those that are part of this challenge what they can and can't do. And this is a offshoot of a December document that came out uh, dealing with this issue. So wanted to flag that for you. I know we've talked about it offline. Did you get a chance to look at it? I, I did see that. And, uh, uh, you know, the FAQs are broken up into uh, seven different buckets focusing on uh, specific things. Uh, as a reminder, um, Many activities in Afghanistan are subject to some kind of sanctions. And so that means that a lot of the activities that uh, NGOs are trying to do there flow through either uh, specific or general licenses. So there, there is a, mechani a mechanism through, fin uh, through OFAC to uh, apply. Some of them are known as self-executing. Uh, the one that caught my eye was uh, guidance on humanitarian cash shipments. And um, as I was uh, thinking about that one, you know, um, whether it's uh, in a, uh, a relief effort that is as a result of a catastrophic, catastrophic event, uh, a hurricane or, you know, an earthquake or something like that, or whether it's a broader ongoing relief effort, um, in Afghanistan, as an example, as a result of years and years of conflict, uh, governments coming and going, the, um, uh, and uh, things going on there, um, there's still this need in addition to what I'll call relief supplies and relief activity, is you still need relief funding. And oftentimes in these areas, cash is the most effective because you can do something with it on the ground. 
um, and particularly in some parts of the world where electronic payment systems have not developed to any sufficient. So I thought it was interesting that there's an updated, there's updated guidance on humanitarian cash shipments to Afghanistan. And it does go back to a number of general licenses that are already in place, but with clarification. So for those of our listeners who are uh, providing financial services to organizations, NGOs or others, I think it would be important for them to be looking at those license that the, this FAQ and the related licenses so that they can um, help their, cl- their customers uh, move funds in an effective way. Yeah, you know, one of the other FAQs that, that jumped out at me, they offer a number of examples. And, and one of them is what are examples of transactions involving the Taliban, or I think it's pronounced the Haqqani network, that are authorized under general licenses, the licenses 14 and 19, which are sanctions experts will obviously know. They say one example is if an NGO is providing support directly to Afghan hospitals or healthcare workers, but needs to sign an MOU that involves the Taliban in order to provide such support directly to the Afghan people, that would be authorized under those general licenses. So there is a recognition on the part of OFAC and Treasury uh, that, you know, despite or or because of the challenges now in Afghanistan, we really need to be able to to help uh, the citizens there, especially in issues like medical issues. And this is just one example of many. So again, I know our sanctions experts have already looked through all this. So they're really good. This, this is kind of what they do. But I thought it was interesting, um, you know, that, that this was something that uh, Nelson uh, uh, Treasury put out just to continue to let the NGOs know, hey, we are working with you. We're going to make this information public and try to make this, I don't want to say as simple as possible, but try to make it as efficient as possible. And it's certainly something that we in the financial sector want to be able to help as well. Yeah. So you mentioned early on in our conversation today, the fact that there was a December uh, document and that December document is a fact sheet. um, The title of which is provision of humanitarian assistance to Afghanistan and support for the Afghan people. And I would say for people who aren't sanctions experts and who may be coming to this for the first time, these FAQs lay on top of that. So I would urge people to, you know, take a look at that. Um, We will uh, link to that fact sheet um, in our uh, post. So if you're listening to us, uh, you should be able to find a link to that to make it easy uh, for you to uh, find it. I think my, I guess my last comment about this topic is, you know, this is the practice, this highlights the practical reality that the world faces when um, a group or groups that are viewed as terrorists are become the government or, or are the government. And if we want to continue to take a humanitarian view of and separate the governmental acts or the terrorist acts from the citizens, in the end, we uh, need to find pathways through. And I think that this is what it's trying to do. I, I think that's right. I think that this administration has definitely been more receptive to try to uh, deal with and uh, navigate this, which is so important. Let me just mention, we have a webinar coming up on February 24th, one o'clock Eastern, entitled What's New for 2022? <laughs> what we've seen and what we expect. We have members of our advisory board 
who are experts in international, domestic, and all sorts of areas of AML-CTF, Terry Pesci, Melissa Strait, and Rick Small. So if you haven't already signed up for that, uh, it's free. Again, what's new for 2022, February 24th at 1 o'clock. Yes, and you can sign up uh, on our website. Uh, Also, um, if you enjoyed uh, this edition of This Week in AML, please catch our podcast every week. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always find it on our website. And lastly, I want to put in a plug for a series of blog posts that we're working on, which is going to look at 2022, kind of uh, what's in store in the financial crimes compliance space from uh, globally on a region by region basis. So watch, it's going to be a multi-part series um, uh, authored by one of our colleagues, Sophie Proctor. So keep an eye on that. Those will start posting uh, later this month. And John, I will talk to you next week. You have a great weekend and stay safe. You too. Take care, Elliot. See you. Bye-bye.